0: all right we'll go to psalm 37 we're in our study in the imprecatory psalms and we've been going down through this for about a month now this is our fourth sunday and just to go over the outline which is i said before not original with me it's just an outline from warren wearsby's commentaries and uh he has the lord can be trusted that's the first 11 verses of that we looked at that section and then the lord understands your situation and that's good You can't go very far in the Psalms without that understanding that the Lord, he's not a distant God, he's not a God that is uh, unconcerned with his creation or with his people, but he's very much active and with us, right, Emmanuel, Uh, and uh, then we had the Lord blesses his people, David writes about that, and then tonight we're going to look at the imprecatory part, and it's not, we've looked at some of that already, but the Lord judges the wicked, and as David goes through this psalm, he, he highlights these things, but then he sends out a solemn reminder. And I've said this time and time again, it's, it's best summed up in, in this. In the end, we win, all right, because the Lord wins. He's the victor. And that's really what uh, this section is all about. And we're going to pick it up in Psalm 37, verse 32. It says, The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. I have seen the wicked in great power, and spreading himself like a native green tree. Yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man, and observe the upright. For the future of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them. Because they trust in him. Lord, we ask your blessing upon your word tonight. Open it to us now in Jesus' name amen this psalm opens up with uh david or this part of it anyways opens up with a reminder that the wicked um are out to get us (laughs) or out to get the lord's uh righteous and that's what david says the wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him and we've all had probably experiences similar to that excuse me i think i got carried away singing tonight That's singing not sinning okay I don't know how that came out um, and uh, we were uh, looking at this as we looked at this um, when you when you see evil in the world understand as Jesus said they hate you because they first hated me and that is how the world sets itself against the Lord and against his anointed that's really from Psalm 2 if you you begin in the in the Bible right off or in the Psalms uh, with those understandings that there are those that are out to really thwart the work of God and those who are followers of God. And here he reminds us that the wicked watches. The word for watches in the Hebrew means to spy out. And you can picture someone kind of uh, stealthily looking for their opportunity. and, And when the opportunity arises, that's when they attack. And of course, that is how our enemy, Satan, is described, isn't he? He's like a lion seeking whom he may devour. and those great predator cats like lions and I guess I suppose even house cats when they sneak around looking for something to pounce on right Uh, one is just bigger than the other but that's the way they are and that is how the psalmist here David pictures the wicked looking out watching for their opportunity and seeks to slay him that means he's that's his goal is to stop this in Uh, in that way the psalmist uh, in psalm 10 says it this way he sits in the lurking places of the villages in the secret places he murders the innocent his eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless you kind of picture it even in, in, in in that way the heart is looking for damage you know and to slay the innocent and the helpless Psalm 17:11: "They have now surrounded us in our steps. they have set their eyes crouching down to the earth." That pictures, again, the wicked waiting to pounce. And uh, David was, of course, familiar with that because many times in his life, he was surrounded by people that were hunting him, looking for opportunity to take him out. He lived in exile for many years, and of course, had those even of his own household who were seeking to kill him in that. The Bible opens up with, um, well, the very first instance of a killing that takes place is in Genesis chapter 4, isn't it? When Cain kills his brother Abel. And it's interesting because it really is the first... as. If, if you study the Bible, the remember hermeneutics, the, the way we study our Bible, there's something called the first mention principle. Whenever something is first mentioned in the Bible, it most often carries through the rest of the Bible with that pattern, okay? So when you see the very first, like here we are in the Psalms, right, saying about the wicked, yeah, they're they're kind of ready to pounce, and they're conniving, and they're kind of looking for opportunities to slay and to kill. Well, it's interesting, the very first time there's a death of a person in the Bible, is in the death of Abel, and it is just like that. In Genesis chapter four, verse eight, it says this: Now Cain, this is after. Remember, each brought a sacrifice Well, uh, Abel brought a, a animal sacrifice, uh, and that sacrifice was acceptable to the Lord. Cain had brought the works of his hands, his his fields, his crops, and offered that, and it wasn't acceptable. Again, a picture of how God doesn't want us to bring works before him to save us, but he wants a sacrifice of something that had to die, right? A picture of the gospel, really. Well, Cain was upset with that. He was upset with his brother, that his brother was accepted and he was not, and you see that, and this is the plot. Now, Cain Talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Now in the Hebrew, um, they tell me that the way this it reads, and it actually in other translations in English it reads like this. Um, I believe this is uh, probably NLT. It says one day Cain suggested to his brother. Okay, because that is what the Hebrew is, is, is uh, the verb there that is there when he spoke to him. He suggested something let's go out into the fields now Cain was not going out into the fields because he wanted his brother there so they could spend some good quality time together he was suggesting to go to the fields so that he might slay his brother he was looking for the opportunity and that's exactly how David says that's what the wicked are like. And then it says, and while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. He was waiting for that opportunity to get alone with his brother where he could take opportunity to slay him. And we see that. We see other many occasions in scripture where there are illustrations of such. Uh, I think of uh, in the days of King Ahab and Jezebel. Remember that? And you remember that in 1 uh, Kings chapter 21, there is a story of Naboth's vineyard. Uh, he was a man that had a piece of land. It was an inheritance land. It had been given as an inheritance of the land and a promise to the people of Abraham. And he had been faithful to keep that land in the family. It was important because that was what God told them they would have. And Naboth had this nice vineyard. And Ahab, whose palace looked out over that vineyard, looked at it, and he wanted it for a vegetable garden, all right? And so he sends word to Naboth, and he says, um, I will buy your vineyard from you, uh, or you tell, you know, name the price, basically, in that, and I will do whatever you need for that. I'll give you a better vineyard, he says, things like that. Well, Naboth says, no, it's, it's my inheritance land i am not going to do that if he was to do that he was actually disobeying god Uh, and he even though the king wanted his land and was willing to pay for it he didn't want to give it up because he believed that god was more important so what happens ahab goes back he can't sleep because his heart's on that piece of land and he's upset that Naboth has said no i'm not going to sell you my land or get another piece of land and trade for it and so Jezebel comes along, finds out that Ahab's had this bad day and bad night, and she comes up with a great suggestion. She sends for, and, and this is part of it, um, and I'll, actually I'll just pick it up and we'll read it here, because it says, And she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. Okay? And this is what it says. And she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast... And seat Naboth with high honor among the people. Here is the plot. Take Naboth, and you're going to hold a solemn assembly, a solemn occasion, and you're going to put him in the place of honor. I think of Naboth. I mean, it's, it's his lucky day. It's, it's Naboth day, right? I mean, anybody would say, wow, what an honor, what a, a great thing. The town, the city here wants to proclaim a fast, and I'm going to sit in the place of honor. And in that case, also the seat of of judgment. Look what it says. She goes on to say, and seat two men. Like what it says here, scoundrels. All right, not because I like the idea of it, but it describes them aptly. We we want some of the baser sort, those that will don't have a conscience about this stuff, right? Before him to bear witness against him, a false witness, saying, "You have blasphemed God and the king." Then take him out and stone him that he may die. See, Jezebel um, was a little more crafty than Ahab. And she saw the righteous man Naboth in his land. And she devised a plan to get it for Ahab. And it goes on to say, So the men of of his city and the elders and nobles were inhabitants of his city. Did as Jezebel had sent to them. As it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. And they proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth with high honor among the people. And two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him, and the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. And then they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones so that he died. This is the slaying of innocent blood in that case. He hadn't blasphemed God, he had obeyed God. He hadn't blasphemed the king either. He reminded the king that the king ought to obey God too. And Jezebel sought to slay him. That is in very much in keeping with what the psalmist says. The wicked seek to slay, don't they? And then it goes on to say then they sent to Jezebel saying Naboth has been stoned and is dead. Well, he's in good company because they did that to Jesus too, didn't they? In John's gospel, John chapter 11, you have here, really, as John's broken up in various sections of his book as he presents the ministry of Christ, and you come to John chapter 11, and there's this, this change of pace where now Jesus is headed to the cross, all right? And and that's the mission that's on, and has always been the mission. But there's also what is going on with Jesus, the righteous, right? The, the sinless one. And then you have those who are the religious leaders, those who should have been the keepers of, of the Jewish faith, and the ones should, that should have first and foremost been looking for the Messiah. Instead, they're upset because this Jesus has come along and people are believing in him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council. Beware of councils, by the way. I'm not, I'm not saying all councils are bad or committees are bad, those kind of things. We all sit on those kind of things. But when you count, this kind of council is bad. Remember the Psalmist, Psalm 1. You don't sit in the seat of the scornful right or 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 stand in the way of sinners but and then what's the other one the the counsel of the of sinners right um, yeah right so again that's they're taking heart together to destroy what shall we do for this man works many signs <laughs> what kind of signs were there he was healing Uh, think about that he's healing people of illnesses like blindness or lameness or leprosy these guys wanted people to keep their infirmities to be blind and lame and leprous and dead right you have the resurrection of Lazarus all of those different things they would rather see that than have their religion upset really something You know, I've experienced that firsthand uh, on occasion. I remember in the early days when um, the church in Eagle Lake was just getting started and all that, and I was on the other side of things. I was in, you know, organized religion watching on, and and just like some people testified tonight, there were those that said, don't go near those people, they're a cult. Um, and, and they, they, they are evil, you know, that was the kind of things that were thrown out, I heard that publicly said of various things, don't go to their Bible study, um, matter of fact, you shouldn't read the Bible, that was one of the things was said, and I thought, wow, awful thing, made me want to read the Bible more, why, do, why can't I read the Bible, you know, that kind of thing, but <clears throat> there were people that had gotten saved in our town, And some of them, I mean, I knew them well, and knew their families, and knew their reputations, and some of them had their marriages almost, I mean, on the rocks. Uh, Some of them had been dealing drugs, and they had become Christians, and repented, and their marriages were healthy, and... And they'd stopped dealing drugs, and uh, some had, you know, they'd sobered up, and now they're living in their right mind, and things had changed. Their language had changed, all this. And there were people in the community upset about that. They would rather have them go back to the way they were living than to have left the organized religion, you know. And as I think about that, that, that's the same thing going here in Jesus' day. Look what he goes on to say. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. Isn't that an awful thing to believe in Jesus, right? That's what they're saying. If if we let this man keep doing what he's doing, everybody's going to believe in him. Listen, my friends, that would be the best thing ever. If everybody believed in Jesus. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. You know what they were concerned about? They were concerned about their place in society. They didn't want that upset. Because when they moved around town, they got the respect of the people, right? And they commanded that kind of respect. And they were worried about their nation. The Romans will just wipe us off the map. Well, by the way, they did, all right? Eventually wiped them right off the map. And Judea wasn't even listed anymore. It became Palestina, all right, under the Romans. And for almost 2,000 years, it remained that way. And still in that part of the world around Israel, the nations that are around them still don't have Israel on the map. Just so you know that. But anyways, they were worried about that. Worse, There was a worse thing if you don't believe in Jesus. All right? And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now, here is Caiaphas. He doesn't even realize it, but he's prophesying. He's high priest, and he is in that position. And he should be the one that should be heralding in the Messiah. And my friends, I, I, I think of that because that year he was to serve as the high priest. What an honor to be the one who would be serving when Messiah came. And instead he's plotting his death. I wouldn't want to be Caiaphas, the day of judgment. I believe, by the way, John the Baptist was a legitimate high priest who commissioned Jesus. He was a man that came outside the priestly order, but yet he was from a priestly family, wasn't he? And he was a man that came and heralded in the Messiah. What'd they do to him? Killed him. God will bring his own high priest in, won't he? You know, he'll do that. Anyways, that's a side note, but <clears throat> you can disagree with me on that. But I, I really believe that was John the Baptist's function. And he actually served as high priest anointing Jesus at the baptism of Christ and uh, showing forth that this is Messiah heralding that because Caiaphas wouldn't do it and others wouldn't do it but he prophesies that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that is true what he says is true but here he is plotting on the wrong side of that isn't he now this he did not say on his own authority but being high priest that year he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for that nation only and I might say amen to that But also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. I believe that's not only referring to Israel that was scattered, the diaspora, but also those who would be outside of Israel, the Gentiles. And that was still a mystery. That hadn't been even uh, opened up yet, really. And Jesus was going to gather other sheep, right? And that was in reference to the Gentiles. And look what it says. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Wicked. And that's all you can say is they're wicked. And that's what they wanted to do. They did that. Verse 33, Psalm 37 The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he's judged. He's referring to the righteous. The righteous. That's not... Listen, the wicked may come and surround you, like they had David. They they may plot to kill you, and they may even succeed in killing you. But let me tell you this, you're not... That's not the end. That's not the end at all. Psalm 51, or excuse me, 31, verse 8. David writes, And have not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a wide place. Wow. I think of that because as enemies around us crowd in they come in and and the greatest enemy that we all face is death death is swallowed up in victory by the resurrection of christ he's going to take this old world that is pressing in on me right now and death that keeps crowding in and every time i hear of a death we've had deaths this week in our uh, church family and, and and the extended family and death has visited us again around us and, and it crowds in and it keeps crowding and my turns coming someday but he's going to put my feet in a wide place oh it's a big place it's heaven and in the end i win because of him he sets my feet there second peter chapter two peter warns of such wicked people he says but there were also false prophets among the people even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. That's the story of Naboth and his vineyard. It was covetousness that drove Ahab and Jezebel to kill him. For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. We talked about that this morning. You have Abimelech who is afraid of God in a healthy fear that he's going to be judged. Because he wanted to, and he didn't even realize it, but he wanted to have Sarah as his wife, and she was Abraham's wife. He didn't know that. And he was so afraid that judgment would fall upon him like it did on Sodom and Gomorrah that he, he pleads before Abraham and God. And Abraham prays for him, doesn't he? But look what it goes on to say about that account. And delivered righteous Lot. Righteous Lot? Was he righteous? Well, uh, he wasn't acting very righteous when the angels came and found him. Who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds the the question is why was Lot down in sodom and gomorrah why was he there well he had seen the plain of sodom and and gomorrah and he had realized it was a good place to go and make some money and he went there but then he ends up with a sin going on. And, and he wasn't making good decisions. You read Genesis 19, and he's offering up his virgin daughters instead of uh, the angels that, that these men want for homosexual purposes. And and uh, instead he, he says, oh, take my, my virgin daughters. Well, that, what where did that come from? That's not a good decision. But yet God said he's righteous. How'd that happen? Because he had believed. And he was someone that though he was engaged in a world that was sinful you know that's for sure i don't think he partook of all their deeds but he was being tormented or vexed by those things and god had to go down and rescue him out of that and he's used here as an illustration of a righteous man who was delivered from evil even though he had put himself in that place look at it says then the lord knows how to deliver the godly out of the temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment listen god knows how to deliver the godly and he knows how to reserve punishment for the unjust i leave it with him right the righteous judge this imprecatory psalm of david david reminds us that god is the one ultimately in charge of these things Verse 34, wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. And he says that same thing in verse 9. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. There was that promise in this psalm and it's a promise for believers, but specific to David also to his people and to the Jew that his land would be there. It's a sentiment that's echoed in the Psalms many times. In Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Amen. There's a theme in waiting on the Lord. I'm not a patient person by nature, and yet so much of life is waiting, isn't it? And it's waiting to be someday finally redeemed fully in his presence. And it's a waiting He goes on to say, uh, and I think I've got that Psalm 30. Yeah, uh, that I. I'm going to skip ahead. <clears throat> so it says that uh, they will see it, as in the ju- judgment or the destruction. And I thought of Revelation chapter 20 because in David's day he had enemies and he had people that were, um, well, that wanted to kill him and all that, but. Yet future, in that land of Israel, there will be a great time of persecution for the Jew. It will be during the Great Tribulation period. And during that time, people will flee. And Jesus talks about it in um, the Olivet Discourse here, when he talks about that there'll be people that will flee, and, and he says, Woe unto them that are with child, right? That give suck in those days and all that. I mean, it'll be a hard, hard time to be a believer. And these are people that have come to faith after, I believe, the rapture of the church, and they're going to come to faith in that time. And many of them will lose their lives. They will just be killed as martyrs by the perhaps millions, and in, in, you think about that. And this is what Revelation 20 says. This is from John who sees this. He says, I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. He, he saw those that were martyred, right? That's what the word witness means, actually, or it, in the Greek it's martyr. Who had not worshipped the beast or his image nor had or had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who was, has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. See, in the end, they win. And, and I think there will never, up to that point in human history, there won't be a time like that in the Great Tribulation period. Actually, if the Lord didn't shorten those days, no flesh would survive. That's what he says. There's never been a hit time in our history like that. It's going to be bad. But in the end, they win. And they reign with him. And then right after that is the great white throne judgment, and the evil ones are finally judged completely uh, in that. Well, I better move on here. <clears throat> Verse 35 says, I have seen the wicked in great power. I would say that. See it all the time, don't we? We see very wicked and evil people in great power, and they can wield authority and 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 people can die by the thousands. Um, or they can pass laws that that do that, right? And, and I think of that. There are um, we're we're in a battle, aren't we, in a lot of things? Spreading himself like a native green tree. For a time, he looks like he prospers. But then look what it says. Yet he passed away. Or in the Hebrew, it's a little confusing. Uh, some translations put "I passed along." like as in the psalmist Uh, but it, it could be this evil person as well he passed away and behold he was no more he was no more see there is a day when there will be no more working of evil for individuals even now they have a lifespan right and I think of those in our world contemporary with us right now or those who have lived in the past and have created great heartache and destruction on this planet and have shed the blood of millions of innocent people. I say innocent in the sense that uh, there wasn't any righteous reason for doing such. Um, but did that and they are no more. They're no more. Indeed, I saw him, but he could not be found. And then he goes on to say mark the blameless man and observe the upright for the future of that man is peace david can't go very long talking about the wicked before he goes right back to the the hope and the promise that god gives for those that follow him and he says mark the blameless man the upright man the perfect man in that way in the standing before god for the future of that man is peace we want peace don't we 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 do We want peace in the world. The the problem with the world's kind of peace is that they don't want the prince of peace. They don't want peace between man and God. And you'll never have peace with each other until you have peace with God. It just doesn't work. But someone who observes the Lord and his commandments, he will have peace. I think of Job. Job is described as such. In Job chapter 1, verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil that's god's commentary on job himself, and yet just because he was a man of God and a man that had you couldn't blame for something, there was no open sin in his life and his friends came along tried to find it, and it wasn't you know Job eventually did have to repent, and even Job, a righteous man who feared God and shunned evil, still had to repent but in the process of all that remember all the things that happened to job i mean just terrible stuff and and i would say if you read through the book of job up until the last chapter almost you see a man who had no peace at all so is somehow the the psalmist got it wrong no because you come to the end of job and you find out he's restored everything twofold including his children that died you say, wait, he didn't get more children there than double. Well, there were those that were in heaven <laughs> and then there were those that he had afterwards and you've counted up and they're double. Job forty two sixteen, the last verse in the book of Job. I love this. It says, after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. Wow. He had little kids running around him and that would be his, you know, great-great-great-grandchildren whatever. Wow. It's a man who lived at peace for the remainder of his years. God promised him that. And he got better than that because after he died, he went to be with the Lord and all those that went before him also. A place of peace and rest, heaven. Verse 38. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. You see the contrast to that or the comparison? You have like a person like Job who sees the blessings of God and experiences the fullness of God in his life, and the wicked, they're cut off, destroyed, their name no longer remains. They don't see their grandchildren because of their evil deeds. And that is a sad, sad commentary that anybody would have that. Last week we looked at Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who, you know, it starts off. But then in verse 4 it says, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. You throw the grain up there and the chaff blows away and it's gone. Just like that. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. That's a promise you can... You can count on it. It will perish. Verse 39, he says, But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And there are lots of illustrations in the Bible of that, where God strengthened those who faced great trouble. Not only in the Psalms, I I think, and I've turned here several times, but to to, uh, Acts chapter 7 at the death of Stephen, the martyr. Stephen has just preached a a spirit filled message to this group of people that are getting ready to kill him. And they don't like his message, even though it was the Holy Spirit testifying through his very voice. And look what it says in verse uh, 55 it says, But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. See, God's there strengthening him because he's about to die. And said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. That's a time when unity is not welcomed. Okay. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And you know, at this point, here's Stephen. He sees the Lord standing. And then he calls to him. He's being strengthened for the hardest enemy. Death. And he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And I have often wondered, how did he muster the courage and the fortitude to pray a prayer of, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. He did because God strengthened him in his time of need. And I would hope he would do the same for us if we ever faced a situation like that. And can I tell you, God answered that prayer with Saul, who was standing there with the garments of the men that were had taken their outer garments off to make sure they could throw stones. And they're laid at his feet, and he's watching this man die. And at that point, he's consenting unto his death. And then yet, we come to chapter 9 and the Lord gets a hold of Saul and when later on the Apostle Paul that same man would say pray for all men everywhere he meant it because he was a man that needed prayer and God answered it verse 40 and the Lord shall help them and deliver them he shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him probably the best illustration in scripture of that is Daniel and his is in the book of Daniel uh Meshach Shadrach and Abednego right they're in the uh, Nebuchadnezzar makes this golden image of himself and they were supposed to come and bow down before it and all that and they just weren't going to do that because it would be I it would be blasphemy to their lord so they didn't do it and it got them in trouble they they disobey by the way civil authority But when it comes to obeying God, you know, that's important, more important than obeying man. And they were forced into that. And we pick that up, Daniel 3.16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In that, if that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. What strength to face that. And the psalmist in Psalm 37, David writes, and you sense that same, that same direction, heavenward. Lord, you judge the wicked. And he reminds God that that's their, that's their outcome. But he also reminds us of where the righteous stand, both now and in the future. It's with him. Lord, thank you for your word. Continue to help us think on these things. Strengthen us for this week as we face a world that is contrary to the faith. And Lord, that we may be uh, quick to give an answer to the hope that is within us. And help us, oh Lord, to, um, to do so with grace and love. And with also strength in a world, Lord, that is so hard. And may many come to saving faith, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, folks.